side, we're celebrating turning 100. Not in years, obviously, although when we started this podcast, Veronica, we were collectively 100 years old. Oh we're now 102. <laughs> Well, we do say we are old enough to be your mums. Be your mums. <laughs> but in episodes, this is our 100th episode. A big thank you to all our listeners for coming along on this journey with us. So today we're going to revisit our five most downloaded episodes and give you our top two takeaways from each of them. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You, of course, know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now, we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about the things that you, our listeners, have found most valuable over the past 99 episodes because, have we said it earlier, this is number 100. (laughs) So, actually, the episode could either be called our 100th episode or our top 10 tips for first home buyers, whichever you prefer. And, of course, (laughs) there's no special property behind Megan in the video this week. Happy birthday. Oh, it's not our birthday. Oh, it's a anniversary cake anniversary to us happy anniversary <laughs> to us cake all who right who would have thought Veronica? who would have thought and we started off our journey interacting with people and sharing our information on facebook with facebook lives and then we went into the beta group and started that journey of educating people and out of that grew you know this amazing podcast that people thank us over and over again for the information that they get because it is valuable to a lot of people who really want to know how to do it right. So let's get into it. So um, counting down from number five, so number five in our top five is episode Episode 63, (laughs) which is how to future-proof your cash flow. And we had a guest uh, on that episode, Terry Condon from Cashflow Co., It was an interesting episode, isn't it? Because what we started when our premise with recording that, which we recorded back in the beginning of February, I think, from memory, was that we knew the interest rates were going to be on the up this year Mm -hmm. and we wanted to do an episode to prep everyone, I guess, in in what to expect. But we got more than we bargained for. (laughs) Didn't we? (laughs) Didn't we? (laughs) So the interesting thing about Terry is, you know, we talk about saving and people who are saving for their first home 
talk about how do I increase my savings? How do I, how do I create, increase my savings? How do I save quicker? How do I save faster? But he really kind of turned it on its head and said, well, let's focus on your spending rather than your saving. I love that. I mean, there's so many things. So this is our sort of number 10 out of the top 10 list, you know, focus on your spending instead of the saving, courtesy of Terry Condon. And what I love about this is it really does reframe the whole problem, doesn't it? Yeah. So many similarities, all the all the restrictions you have to make in order to uh, and, this, and the sacrifice you have to make in order to get to that point of buying your first home, it's a little bit like being on a diet and and a, yeah. and a fitness kick, right? It's like mm. there's a little bit of pain, there's a lot of restriction, there's a lot of saying no. little blowout every now and then. <laughs> a little blowout. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I think the idea of focusing on the spending rather than saving, so that's sort of watching the dollars that are going out mm. rather than the bank balance increasing. It's like if you watch the spending, the, the saving should take care of itself. Yes. Um, and being mindful in your spending rather than being a miser in your saving. Like it just was such a much nicer that was such way. a moment, wasn't it? Go mm. back and listen to episode 63 because it's an absolute corker of an ex- ex- episode. And and I think that, as you say, Veronica, being mindful of your spending versus being a miser. I had COVID for the second time a few weeks ago and I was not mindful in my spending. I was bored. I was home. I was, <laughs> I know isolation rules are over, but I just chose not to be out in the world while I had that. Good on and, you. Uh, and I, I felt terrible, to be honest, but nowhere near what it was like in January. But I spent a lot of money online shopping Did you? at that point in time. I don't know. I, I sort of walked away and went, what? I don't know why I need <laughs> what I bought, but it was not mindful spending. It was, I'm bored. I'm on my own. Um, I'm feeling in time. Oh, that looks nice. It really was not mindful spending. If I'd been a lot more mindful in that period of time, um, I could have done, you know, a vast number of very different things and spent a lot less money and my bank account would have been much more thankful for it. So that's that's our number one takeaway from that episode. The second one is finding the balance between living now and planning for the future. So it sort of so goes on lines along the same lines. But, you know, back to that being on a strict diet, if you don't, like you said earlier, factor in some of those indulgences or treats along yep. the way, you're going to blow it. Absolutely. And and I think it's what you can't, it's, you want something that you can't have. And the less you are allowing yourself or someone else is allowing you to have it, the more you want it. It's like, you know, teenagers, they're not allowed to be out after 10 o'clock to curfew, say. So all they want is to be able to go out after 10 o'clock curfew and they'll <laughs> do what they have to if, if, you know. So it's, it's sort of that what you can't have is what you want the most. And, and I think that was a really important lesson here is you actually have to give yourself, some people call it a slush fund. So when I was saving for um, my first house and subsequent properties, I had a slush fund. I had a certain amount that I allocated to that slush fund, which was my play money, if you like. And once that was gone, it was gone. That was it. There was nothing more. But I was allowed to have those things. I allowed myself to have those indulgences and that was enough. Because I think too, being being tight, yes, you've got to make sacrifices, but you also got to live. And I think that was that was very much Terry's message there mm. is that that a life without living is really not really much fun, is it? And so mm. if everything is everything you sacrifice just to get some bricks and mortar 
that I what if you get run over by, by a bus in your first week of owning a home or or the week before you buy a home? I mean, you're still living now. And I think that they're fine and it doesn't have to mean that you have to spend a lot of money to live well, but but certainly being very mindful of, of planning for future you whilst you're also enjoying the life that you are living now. And the flip side, of course, of that is that some people don't plan for future you. You know, they mm. they blow everything in the short term. So you do have to balance that because you can go totally, you know, um, I was going to say hedonic, but it's not hedonistic. <laughs> you can go totally hedonistic and party and party, 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 travel, 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 and blow everything. And say, well, that's future John's problem. Yeah, not exactly today right. John's problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, number four in our countdown. Episode, Episode 72. 72. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy thing bu- things buyers do when making offers. Oh, wow, did we have some fun with this one, Veronica. That was uh, some of the things that we've seen over the years of what people have done, what agents have told us people have done, what we saw as agents when we are in our selling agent mm. mode. Um, even what I did, I think, when I bought my first house, <laughs> some of those sorts of things. Yeah, you know, making an offer before they're actually ready, really not knowing what needs to be done, what step needs to happen when. Yeah. Absolutely one of the biggest mistakes that we see people do. We see people make mistakes even before they really, oh, sorry, make an offer before they've even really thought through, you know, the pros and cons of the house and whether they, they just like it, but they haven't really looked into anything. I mean, sometimes... I've seen people make offers or I've heard agents telling you about people making offers after a 10-minute inspection. Oh, wow. And then, and then you the can't be- know. Imagine, can you imagine walking out and looking at if you've got a partner or, you know, um, your parents or your friends saying, oh, what was the bathroom like? Exactly. Well, I where no was idea. The I looked at 10 houses that day. I cannot remember a thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> where was where was the, where's the hot water system? There's oh, all little things like that. Does it have a dishwasher? <laughs> <laughs> what sort of floors are in the lounge room? The the built-ins. Do the doors open sort of on a hinge or they do slide, they slide? They, you know, because well, I, I need to put some furniture in there. I'll just go back to the pictures on the ad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or so making thing- an offer, Veronica, before they've got their finance sorted because they jumped online onto thing. an online calculator and said. Oh yeah, I earn this much money, and I've got this much deposit. How much can I borrow? Boom, offer. Yeah, big, or big mistake. They make an offer before they've done any. They don't have a lawyer lined up. They don't have a broker lined up. They don't, you know, and they do this mad scramble after they've already made the offer to try to to get Working the thing out. happening. I think I've told you my story about when I bought my first property. I made an offer before before I knew what I was doing. And um oh, did. the agent had access to, to information. <laughs> the this course to, didn't exist. No, exactly. The agent had to ring me and say, well, yeah, have you got a lawyer? And I'm like, oh, is that the next step? <laughs> I had no idea, right? <laughs> yeah, otherwise I'm going to sell it to someone else, he said. All right, okay, thanks. Tell me what to do. So before not knowing what to do means you're at the mercy of either A, missing out, to somebody else who does know what to do. So mm. people make offers and then other people go, well, I'm ready, but they're not, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it is. It's a powerful position to be in, to be ready, to be able to actually articulate to an agent who then informs the seller, these people know what they're talking about. They're mm. using the right language. They've got everything in place. They know what the steps are. They're asking me the right questions. It is a powerful place to be as a buyer if you have done your homework correctly, you know what is happening and how it needs to happen and you can, can communicate that. 
100%, because also agents don't trust buyers that they know are fluffy. And so you're <laughs> fluffy if you don't really know what to do next or you're annoying doing everything us about, totally annoying. <laughs> and them. a risk. You know, they're worried that you're going to fall over because you really don't know what you're meant to be doing. And it's it, but crazy, it happens all Veronica, the time. to do that. But- crazy. I, I, even, um, you know, oh, the thing that I, I think really can bring people unstuck, and we talked about this, is annoying the agent but actually thinking you're superior and you know more <laughs> than the agent and yes. kind of telling them that. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing. The agent is, as we say in the episode, the agent is your gateway to the seller who makes the decision. If you slam the gateway closed, you've really undercut your ability to have an effective interaction and purchase that property. It's a classic. Like it or not, the agent is a very important part of the process. Diss yeah. them at your peril, you know, because... <laughs> Because they will cut you out of the deal if they can. They've been doing this a lot longer than you have. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the other other tip from this episode um, is making an offer without A, knowing how much the property is really worth, and B, being prepared or where they're prepared to go to if pushed. So what their maximum possible price would be, but also what it's limit. worth. Mm. People make offers like that all the time. That is insane. Oh, Franca, like, I, I, we talk and we did an episode about um, online forums, but I, the amount of times that I see in an online forum someone posting a property and saying, what do you think I should pay for uh, this? What offer do you think I should make? The You know, the price guide is X. Where should I go in? Like, have you worked out what it's worth? I know because there's actually no correlation between the price guide and what it's worth. I mean, <laughs> yes, agents have got this 10% buffer thing, but sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they're underquote. Markets you know what I mean? move up, markets move down. Exactly. They're rapidly moving. Yeah. It's crazy. So, you know, if you're trying to say, oh, I just add 100 grand to whatever the agent's saying, or I just add 10% to what the, whatever the agent's saying, mm. you'll be out a lot of the time by by using that. And, and, because what that's assuming is that all agents use the same metrics and they don't. Crazy. No, and and sometimes they don't know, um, you know, there's not enough comparables to for them to offer or the owners haven't approved comparables. So, you know, in Queensland, mm. you can't give a price guide if a property is advertised without a price or for sale by public auction. So the owner actually has to approve the comparables that you're given by the agent. Now, they can that can skew you if you're not prepared to do your own research and actually independently find out what comparables have sold mm. and where where this property sits in relation to those. So just using the information that's given you know, when we talk about this in the episode, go back and, and listen, mm. watch it, um, listen to the episode because, actually, you know, those price guides aren't always going to steer you in the right direction. Absolutely not. I've seen people add 10% to a price guide massively overpay. And yeah. I've seen people add 10%. <laughs> or just give up and go, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or they add 10%. They're always underpaying because they, they're dealing with agents that are chronic underquoters. So they get that wrong. They're also, you know, buyers are then opened. If you haven't done your own price research, and let's face it, guys, we have a free mini course for this. It's basically at homebuyeracademy.com.au forward slash free course, right? It's on the website. Just go to the homepage and click the free course. It's hard to miss, right? A free course that teaches you how to work out what the property, you know, what what reasonable price to pay for that property is in any market, right? So, but if you don't do that, you're open to the suggestion from the agent. So apart from the, the price guide, they'll also have a lot of dialogue around this 
and they will also use dialogue that gets you thinking that there's another buyer on the property mm. all of a sudden you won't know whether they're telling the truth or not and you 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 can be bluffed into paying too much or bluffed into backing out when you should continue you know and it's it's bizarre because often i i hear people stop stories about properties they really should have continued yeah. negotiating on mm. and they back out because they don't like being bluffed by the agent but they mm. actually weren't being bluffed they weren't being bluffed and that you know that that feeling of loss that comes for some people when they've you know someone's maybe had a whisper in their ear and go yeah no they're they're telling porcupines don't believe what they say <laughs> they all lie well no they don't actually and you and i have debated quite heavily in recent times about having an open mind and not just stereotype cast stereotyping typing and yeah type casting um those two together stereo casting world you word um but you can't you can't just assume that because an agent says something is happening that is not positive to you that it is true or that it is untrue mm. you need to run your own race and be in control of that process and and, and that episode i think was really good of helping people to get their head around that Absolutely. Number three on our list. Episode 61. 61. Top five top mistakes. mistakes. <laughs> but we, we, the context of this one was in a rapidly rising market. Now, a lot of markets at the moment, we're in late October 2022. A lot of markets at the moment have cooled, some dropping a little, some still continuing to rise. There are market segments within market segments. But these were the top five mistakes to avoid um, when we recorded, it was earlier in the year, so March ish, February, also March, yes, around that sort of time. And that was, you know, the big one is I actually, think this is actually relevant to every market. That's the thing. And that's, that, I think <laughs> by re when we were reviewing these, and it's like interesting because they are very relevant regardless of market conditions, aren't they? But funnily enough, we did actually record this one back in February and before we get into our sort of two favourite tips from this, I think the biggest lesson from this episode is that things change yeah. and they can change quickly. Some principles apply across the board, but the next one after this is all about a falling market and we only recorded that seven weeks later. So that just shows how yeah. quickly things can change. Yeah, but back right. to this one, which is in a rising market, and these these top tips that really are market proof, really. These, as you as you were just saying, they apply in all conditions. Absolutely, and the main one is delaying your entry into the market, hoping prices will go down, or the market will change. So, or <laughs> <laughs> so buyers will do this in a hot market. They'll also do it in a cold market. They're waiting yep. for prices to go They're down waiting further. For evidence or... that it's <laughs> yeah. on the way up. And then they say, "Oh, well, I need to, I need to slow down. I need to, I can't do this because prices are rising fall. now." Yeah, <laughs> seven years later, they're still wondering when the prices are going to go down. Yeah, and and look, there's some. I, I'll talk a little bit coming up about some data on this, but the problem is, of course, nobody knows the peak of the market or the bottom of the market in yeah. advance of it happening. And in fact usually then don't even know it's happening while it's happening mm. it's in mm. the rear vision mirror it's usually a few months later you you look back at the data and you go ah and you can pinpoint exactly when it time. happened too yeah. late 
There are a lot of, you know, when we talk about this in the episode, there are a lot of indicators and we see them when we've got our boots on the ground and we see the changes, the nuances mm. that are giving us indications that there might be a change, but it's only when those are sustained over a period of time that you can actually effectively call it a change in the market because sometimes there's just peaks and troughs in, in cycles, there's mm. school holidays, there's seasonality, there's all sorts of things that can cause changes in behaviour. And, and it's only when that is sustained across what might be a seasonality or, a, or an unusual event or a school holiday period um, that you can sort of say, oh, look back and go, oh, no, actually, this is actually sustained change over a period of time. We can actually say that that probably was the turning point. Yeah. So timing the market is a mugs game. We've got more to say that we've got more to say on that coming up. But you know, and it's funny too because of course we recorded this episode. We're talking about episode sixty-one, was it? Um, sixty-one. Yeah. We recorded it back in February, twenty twenty-two, and what we didn't discuss and we didn't even really think about too much actually at that time was the risks of borrowing capacity falling faster than prices, mm. and that's what we're seeing now. That you know, people's ability to borrow money is decreasing faster than prices are falling. And so all of a sudden then that puts into the sort of spotlight, I guess, another risk um, around waiting for a falling market that at least when you had low low rates and prices were rising, you were able to borrow enough money to buy something. And yeah. if that changes markedly, you might, you know, you're waiting for prices to come down. That's all fine. You still can't afford it. Yeah. Yeah, and we do talk about that a little bit later. And we did do an episode on changes in borrowing capacity. If you we did tune into that one, that was in back recent in the nineties, ninety in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that that's a really interesting thing because, as you say, you have the capacity to purchase the property, but you have to actually set up that buffer zone if interest rates do go up. Mm. And, and that was, you know, we've talked about that ad nauseum in in various episodes in the course content about having enough of a buffer that if it does go up three, four, five percent, you have the ability to service that. So, so, you know, keeping your head on top of that, keeping in mind. The other thing we talked about quite a bit in this episode, Veronica, was being too fussy or compromising on the wrong things. Yes. And we have heard people talk about, I'm looking for the property unicorn. And, you know, we we know the unicorn doesn't exist. You know, as, as little girls and little girls today, they love to believe that it exists and <laughs> give them all kinds of opportunities to dream about that. But, you know, I was always into Tonka trucks, not unicorns, but anyway. Yeah, well, I was always <laughs> in doing gymnastics or netball. So it did, <laughs> well, I did have Barbie dolls. See, Barbie dolls were the thing of my day when I was in primary school. <laughs> my mum my used to say she used to, she could put put me in the playpen and I'd be happily play with blocks. So I think I was building things even back then. I was interested <laughs> in building. Anyway, but back to the unicorns. They don't exist. <laughs> so so being too fussy and not being prepared to compromise is a big challenge. Mm. But on the other side of the coin is compromising on the wrong things. And Veronica, I, I think, you know, when people have been looking and looking and looking and they're, they're, they're just, you know, they're sick of open houses and they're going and seeing the same people at the same open houses every week, the same agents. Decision fatigue can actually lead to them giving up and they buy whatever. Yep. And often you know? pay whatever too. And pay whatever. Mm. Yeah. Just to stop the pain. Yep. And also, 
by not inspecting enough property, some people get so fussy that they they eliminate everything online. Yeah. And, and that's fine to do that once you've really got a level of knowledge, you know, a level of experience looking at properties because you do have to see enough so that you can recognise a good one. Yeah. Um, otherwise, when you do see a good one, you really haven't got a lot, a lot to weigh it up against to give you that sort of confidence that, ah, I need to go hard on this one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that also can be, you know, so being too fussy can lead to literally not seeing it enough so enough. that you recognise yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, and also being realistic about what the market offers. If if you're still going for that unicorn and like I'm not even looking at property this weekend because there's nothing on there that I would buy and it's like, well, is there ever going to be anything that you would buy in that market in your budget? Like have you done the where to buy workshop? Have you actually yeah. sat down and worked out and had your reality check on what you can get for your money and what compromises you might need to make. And so the important thing is you're always going to have to make compromises, mm-hmm. always. But it's understanding that mix, right? Mm. So we talk about it in, in the Where to Buy workshop a, a tutorial. And that is, you know, you've got your position, you've got your price, you've got your property details, features, which which mix is right for you. And, and we talk about sometimes people have three or four different mixes, but they've done the work to understand what the mixes are in different locations. Because you can't say, you know, in in um, blue chip suburb A, yeah, I would spend that money on that property in that suburb, but it has to have these features. Well, if that doesn't exist, if you just can't buy it in that price range, you've got to alter what that mix is. So I think understanding what the mix is and having enough time and having had a look looked at enough property to go, Right, well, I'll stretch for that there. I won't stretch for that there, but I know I can get bigger there. Therefore, I'd go to that there, but I wouldn't go to that there. Like it's 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 almost like putting all the pieces of the puzzle together mm-hmm. for different places, different locations, different property types and, and, and so forth. But compromising on the wrong things, oh, you don't want to be living with that for very long. Well, no, because the problem is then, you know, if you compromise on the wrong things, you end up with the wrong property and yeah. then you are dissatisfied and spending all that money, all that agony, all the everything that you've done to sacrifice to get to that point and then buy the wrong property. Yeah. It's a real problem. That's hard. Yeah. But really the biggest lesson from this episode is that things change and they can change quickly, yeah. which leads to the next on our list, which we, we, uh, we recorded seven weeks ago, as you mentioned yep. earlier, yep. after number three in this list. So, so this is number two in this list, episode 65 waiting for property prices to drop before buying is that a trap (laughs) (laughs) so the two big tips from this episode the first one i mentioned a little earlier is time in ing the market versus time in in the market Mm. and you may have heard this and and look a lot of people talk about trying to buy at the right time you know it's classic you know it makes perfect sense buy at the bottom sell at the top right but if look, only we could all do that. Well, yeah. I mean, you and I have been in the business over 20 years each. And but the market's I've not going to transact if everyone was able to do that. Well, that's it. I sometimes have managed to do that. Other times haven't. It hasn't worked out that way because it hasn't been right in terms of when I was ready, right? So if I wasn't ready to buy the perfect timing, then there's no point waiting for the perfect time because prices could have also risen quite a lot between now and then, you know, or 
they don't bottom out the way you think they're going to bottom out. And sort of like even at the moment, people aren't, If despite the fact the headlines are saying prices are falling at the moment, I still find people finding it difficult to get what they want for their money, mm, right? Mm. So the fact is you need to buy when you're ready to buy and when you find the right property that you can afford. And, and the best you quality del- you can afford. That's it. If you del- delay on that when you've got the opportunity to, you may not have that opportunity coming up Mm. right it might may evaporate but also properties a long game you know this this riding the wave is very short-term focus we need always to have a long lens asset class to try and ride a wave of because there are so many costs to go in there are so many costs to get out uh and what might look like a, a capital gain in a short period of time may actually be eroded away by those costs and then the costs to get into the next one Absolutely. So without that long term, that time in the market versus timing the market. So in my twenty odd plus years in prop no twenty four years since <laughs> I bought my first house, I have timed the market in retrospect extraordinarily well three times out of all of my purchases. Three times have I looked back and gone. I bought that right at the bottom, but it's because uh-huh. I'm prepared to think counter cyclical. I'm prepared mm. to go, oh, there's not a lot of buyers around at the moment, but I didn't know that was the bottom. They could have gone down further mm. at the time. It just happened to be, and I was prepared to actually take that, that risk to a degree to say, yeah, it might go down a little bit more, but I think that it's low enough now and the opportunities are, are there to jump on this and to do something about it because I had the ability to buy at that time. I could have waited, but I would have paid more. Yeah, I've actually got. You know, I think about it like because there's also buying and selling when you when you're sort of in the property market. There are time. Mm. I think selling your timing your sale is a lot more important than timing when you buy. Um, but also, what you buy is so important because if you buy a really more good important. asset, it doesn't matter when you sell it. it. It matters less when you sell it. But if you buy a crap asset, you can only really sell in a hot market. Yes. You know, so yes. you, you take away that freedom um, in a, being able to sell regardless of market conditions in order to move on with life and upgrade and do whatever you want to do. Yep. But two investment properties that I bought, one in 2002 and the other one was in 2012, right? So the 2002 one, I was a, a sales agent at the time and I had only been in the business two years. And I knew the seasonality. I knew the sort of seasonal cycle. And that means that prices usually dipped into spring as there was lots of property on the market. So I had it in my mind to time the market. I insisted that I was going to buy this investment property at the end of the year and I was going to buy something, right? And so what I bought was okay. It did okay for me, but I would say it's a B-grade property. Mm -hmm. And I bought because A, I could. You know, B, I was ready to buy. C, I gave the timing of the market primary importance over the quality of the asset. Ooh. I was not focusing enough on the quality of the asset. And so you didn't that, know what you didn't know then. I didn't probably. know what I didn't know. I thought I knew everything after two years' experience. And this is why you got to be careful <laughs> trusting people <laughs> with only a short amount of time and lots of confidence, which I had. Um, and so so that was a mistake in retrospect that I could have been more patient. And what, and even if I'd gone into the new year when prices started going up again, and they did, right? Um, even if I'd done that, but if I bought a better asset, I would have mm. been better off. 
right? So so that's that's the first one. The second example, in 2012, I was already a buyer's agent. I've been a buyer's agent by that stage for five years. And so, you know, I had pretty good understanding by then around cycles of the market, but also quality of the asset, very focused on quality of the asset. Mm. Now, I bought a cracker asset. I knew this was a good street. I knew it was a good house. There was a lot of really good things about this property. And I, I was ready and I'd been ready for a while. I was just looking for the right property and I bought. I bought it in October 2012, literally just before the market took off for five <laughs> years, right? Now, I bought that asset first right? I did not know the market was about to take off, but I could dine out on that. It sounds like I'm a real expert, right? I know there was an element of luck in that, but the, the luck element really is the timing. What I did was get myself ready and identified a good asset and recognized it and went for it. Yeah. And so it just so happened I can dine out on the timing, but there's other times when I haven't but been it's so hindsight. fortunate. <laughs> exactly yeah, right. you, it could have gone the opposite direction. It's it's hindsight, and you know, the, let's talk about the property clock because that was Ooh. something that we really looked at in episode sixty-five. It's cyclical. It's a clock. It goes around. You know, prices never fall forever. No, they rise again. They do, and and a lot of people when the when the headlines go all negative, you think, oh my god, that's it, that's it, no more price rises. <laughs> and, and another thing, that's we, it forever. Yeah, we hear people say that, oh, I wouldn't buy in that area. Like if they're talking about a like a, a blue chip area, a really in demand area, I wouldn't buy in that area. It's had its run. So what do you think? That's it. <laughs> like never, it's never going to have any growth thing ever again. It's like, chasing that short, sharp, hot <laughs> spot, isn't it? It's mm. it's been the for some people, it's actually being able to say. Oh, I bought in before yeah. the prices went up. You know that. Yeah, that's ego, ego. really. You know, <laughs> I've just given you two examples. You know, where faulty logic with one of them, good timing was with the other one, but neither of them were were. You know, neither of them were. <laughs> neither of them were perfect decisions in the sense that. I had much more education the second time around. Mm, I won't attribute mm. the fact that I bought at the perfect time to my decision making. I bought a good asset. That was my decision making. Yeah. The first time around, I bought it what would have been the perfect time, but I didn't buy a great asset. Yeah. I tell you what, I'd rather or always rather have a better asset. But interestingly enough, domain research um, has shown that the over the last thirty years, property prices in Australia, prices actually risen risen more in each upswing than they have fallen in the following mm. downturn. Mm. So I've put a link in the show notes here to the article. There's a little uh, chart there, which is really interesting because it shows that the average upswings, so that's property booms, they spend two years, nine months, each average one, with a 32.7% average rise from peak to trough. Right. And on average, the downturns experience only a 3% decrease. So that's 32% rise, then a 3% decrease, then a 32%, well, 33% rise, then a 3% de decrease. Look, they're not all uniform, but this is the average. No. Um, but, but the you downturns. You see it in the graphs. You can sort of. That's it. It's so fascinating that, that no. chart. And you've got to have that and, long term view. But also, the downturns on average only last nine months. So you've got upswings on average lasting two years, nine months each, downturns, nine months. <laughs> so that means there's a longer period of time for price growth. Prices do fall. It's a cycle. That's the property clock. It's understanding at what's at 12 o'clock, you know, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and so on. Um, so if you haven't seen one, just Google it. Just, yes, just have property a look clock. at it because we're talking about, you know, there's a peak of the market, there's a downturn, then there's a 
bottom of the market and then there's an upswing and generally property and and often property clocks are sort of sorted uh, or categorized by region or city or um, even property type so you might see one for houses one for units don't get those mixed up don't <laughs> ever think that a property clock for a house should be substituted for a property clock for a unit like that's such distinct markets or don't get your cities mixed up don't think brisbane's is going to be the same as adelaide <laughs> <laughs> Very rare. In 2021, a lot of Australian markets are rising at the same time. That's unusual. Highly unusual. unusual. Highly unusual. Yeah. Okay. Drum roll, please, Veronica. Don't hear that. It wasn't a drum. It's my desk. But anyway, number one. Number one was episode episode 68. This was 10 signs you're ready to buy your new home. Now, we're not going to go <laughs> You over... guys loved it. <laughs> loved it. Oh, this yeah, we should sort of downloaded celebrate. episode, and it was episode 68. So, obviously, audience has been building over the last 19, 20 months. And, but episode 68 was in about, what, what was it being about, May? Ooh. Yeah, April, I think. Was it in April? Yeah. So this yep. is it, 10 signs you're ready to buy your new home. And what that tells us, Veronica, is that people want to know how to ready. know when they're ready. So that's a good point. And, in fact, we have a quiz for that, which we we'll put in the show show notes as the, the, 10, the 10 signs quiz. So you can do the, the readiness quiz. Um, so we'll put that link in the show notes. It's a very simple quiz. Now, obviously, we're not going to go through all, all 10 signs here. We're going to oh, pick. Go on, listen the, to the episode the, again. That, yeah, yeah, this is the episode to get all 10. We're just focusing on the two that really show that you're not ready. Mm. So if these are not present, you might be ready. Uh, and, and the key one, Veronica, is you don't have the right advisors on board. Oh, yep, yep. And we're not talking about property advisors here. We're talking about the team. You yes. Know, we talk about building your support crew in your first home buyer guide. And in particular, right up front, having the right crew, including a mortgage broker. So uh, in particular, a mortgage broker. Not not going online and doing online calculators, but having a person who is going to look at your situation, your unique situation. By getting a good broker involved early in the process, you're getting advice while you're saving your deposit. Yep. And they can help you have all the different tricks that are available, all the different options, all the things I've heard other people do. You can then go, all right, well, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. But, gee, that's a good one. I'm going to jump on that and I'm going to work with that. And, of course, also, you know, being really careful about, mindful about your spending, Mm. which we talked about earlier. You may actually find that you are able to buy sooner than you're originally thinking. Well, also because a good broker will will be creative in terms of like, you know, maybe paying lenders mortgage insurance is a good idea in your yeah, case. Options. Maybe mm. um, maybe different banks might actually lend you more money without um, needing to pay lenders mortgage insurance, depending on on your profession. So, but yeah. also they can talk to you about t- different government schemes that might work for you. So, what you don't want, what you don't want in a broker, is someone that only talks to you after you've saved your deposit. Because you want someone who's prepared to work with you and help you get to that point. And what you also don't want in a broker is somebody who is basically going to say, right, well, this is where you get all your first home buyer grants. Now, remember, our number <laughs> one rule around first home buyer grants is that if it di- if it dictates the type of property you've got to buy, particularly brand new, 
then it's not a good thing for first home buyers. Don't be forced to buy something mm, mm. because of a first home buyer grant. So if you can get or a grant be limited or, in your price range because of a grant. Yeah. So if you can maximize it in the light of your all your needs and a good broker will be able to let you know what you are able to get access to and always be mindful though that don't let the 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 broker or the um the grant dictate what you buy. So yeah. that's it. <laughs> it's a very very big caveat there, but there are some fabulous brokers out there. And we've interviewed three on the podcast, uh, Stuart Williams, David Johnson, and Andrew Wheatley. So go back into those episodes. And, you know, they are, they're, I guess, examples of the sorts of businesses that will support first home buyers mm. through that whole process. Mm. And that's so important. Yep, absolutely. Now, the other sign that you're not ready, remember, <laughs> we did a show on that you're ready, but another sign that you're not ready is that you're not clear on what your living requirements will be in five years' time. Mm. And, Veronica, too often buyers have the idea of getting on the ladder as soon as possible. It seems, yeah. you know, it's a great Australian dream. You want to be able to talk at the cooler and the barbecue, you know, to say, yep, I bought and, you know, got our own home. And it is it ha gives you a sense of belonging to a group, almost a cult of, of other home buyers or uh, homeowners. But if you if you're doing it just for that reason, then you're kind of and not thinking about well, what does the future look for me, then you might be making a big mistake. And and even people, you know, we've had students who've done the course. Remember, we had a student who did the beta course, who said that going through that process actually alerted her to the fact that she shouldn't be buying a property at this point in time. And that was quite freeing for her to come to that um, that that outcome and that decision rather than feeling like I should be, I should be, I should be because everyone's mm. telling me I should. Yeah. And being, you don't want to be trapped by your property, you know, mm. in, in a situation where you haven't really thought, you, you're so focused on just getting on the ladder, you're not thinking about the future. And I'm only saying five years, we're only saying five years out here. We're not saying think, plan the rest of your life. But just if we get ahead. Within a five-year period, if you can see that this property is not going to suit you, then or you don't, re you've got no idea what you want to do, then that can change things too. That might be that you need to buy something with maximum flexibility so that you can rent it out if you move overseas for work, yeah. for example. Mm. But you know, buying your little one-bedroom unit <laughs> just so you can get on the property ladder um, isn't necessarily the best, uh, the best solution for a lot of people. So it might actually limit your capacity to do the next thing absolutely you think you know i'll get into this one first then i'll use it as an investment property but if all of your borrowing capacity is tied up in that one property then you can't do the next thing mm. without selling it that's the thing because outgrowing your first home too soon can be very very costly and so really it, it pays and this is where the planning getting that planning part of the whole first home or any home first buying phase process mm. isn't that important i mean we've got you know the pay system that we take all of our students through it's preparation action commitment execution and in that first sec section there we in preparation we're going you want to get your support crew you want to get the money thing sorted out so you want to understand the money that's not just about saving the deposit yes you're going to do that you want to mm. understand uh what's what's involved in that and then your plan and so that's the beginning and this is why you don't just look at the yourself course. Yes, it's not an about property at that point in time. <laughs> it's actually about looking at yourself, mm. um, and and that's a really important part of property ownership and and being a property purchaser is 
understanding where am I now, where could I be, what might happen, what's my career trajectory, what does that mean? All of that is so important. It's not just about going out and looking at houses and making offers. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. that sounds like the fun bit, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Getting the right property is the fun (laughs) bit, you know, and then doing this, the front end can really help you achieve that. Position of power to be in, to have that knowledge that when you do find something that you like, you know you've got everything lined up, everything you know right. You know, you know what to do and when to do it. But, of course, things can change. So building in flexibility is actually quite useful. Um, as you said, rent it out if you move overseas. Mm. or But you've got to look at the impact on your borrowing capacity if you're looking at doing something that might see you stepping into another property. Exactly. And if you're clear about what your requirements are going to be in five years' time, you will have different conversations with your broker. Mm. You will have different different thinking around the types of property and your planning will take that into account. So that is our top five episodes thus far. It's up to you guys to download different ones if you want, different ones to be featured in the 200th episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we thank you so much for tuning in. We really, really thank love the interaction so we're getting from so many of you and it's it's wonderful and we just really, really are so it passionate about it. on, Veronica. Yep. Just, you know, every time we get questions, every time we get feedback, every time we see, wow, people really into that topic, what else can we do around that? How can we build on that to give people more knowledge? Um, or to stop them making really bad mistakes. Mm. It just, it really drives us on. And every time one of our students buys, hello, <laughs> how cool is that? And we, we put a call out to you. If you're still listening after you bought, you may not be. But the amount of people we go, come on, come on the podcast, they get all shy. So we, yeah. if you're listening still, you know who I'm talking to. <laughs> come on and tell us your story. Share your knowledge. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.